Welcome to the Peaceful Life Podcast. This is your host, Laura, coming to you from a cottage in the woods in the peaceful mountains of California. For those of you who have inquired about the Ferguson fire and my safety, I thank you for checking in and I'm good. The fire is moving away from our town. However, parts of it still threaten Yosemite National Park. So please send positive fire extinguishing thoughts to our lovely National Park. Many of us have gone through some stage of bullying as a child, some more than others. Studies have shown that being bullied as a child can affect you even as an adult. Adults who were victims of bullying have a higher rate of anxiety, agoraphobia, panic disorder, distorted self-beliefs and self-worth, depression, and even suicide. First and foremost, it's important to recognize this and get help if you need it. The definition of bullying is a type of aggression in which, one, the behavior is intended to harm or disturb, two, the behavior occurs repeatedly over time, and three, there's an imbalance of power with a more powerful person or group attacking a less powerful one. This asymmetry of power may be physical or psychological, and the aggressive behavior may be verbal, like name-calling or threats, physical, or psychological, like rumors, shunning, and exclusion. I've invited Christopher Grunland, a fellow podcaster, to talk about being bullied as a kid and how it affects us as adults. He's also a writer and often writes about his own experiences for his podcast, Not About Lumberjacks. One story that I listened to called Purvis is inspired by his experience being bullied as a kid. And please note that neither Christopher nor I are mental health professionals. We are simply discussing this issue from our experiences and hope that it helps people out there who can identify with it. So welcome, Christopher, to the Peaceful Life Podcast. Well, thank you. As you know, I enjoy listening to the show. And to your point about us not being mental health professionals, the one thing I do like and something that helped me, which I'm sure we'll get into, is it always helped me just hearing stories from people, especially when I was a kid and I realized some of the people I looked up to in a huge way were bullied and got through it. And then I just kind of was like, how do I get there then? Right. So why don't we start by, you You kind of said that your story was inspired by your experience, but obviously it wasn't exactly your experience. So tell me what happened to you when you were a kid. As a kid, I was kind of, I wouldn't go as far as saying I was popular in elementary school. However, when I got into junior high, and I can remember the exact day in a math class where I was sitting and somebody asked me if I believed in God. And I've always been an atheist. I don't have any issues with religion. It was just, this is what I've chosen to believe given the way I view everything and looked at everything and assessed it since I was a kid. So I just simply said, no, I don't. And from that day on, I went from 
being invisible in junior high school to being one of the more picked on kids in the entire school. Wow. And I was brought up in a very similar way. In fact, um, I came home one day and asked my parents about the Pledge of Allegiance. And I said, do I have to say under God? And my parents said, no, you don't have to say that if you don't want to. Um, So I can identify with that. So you became almost a pariah. So they used that as kind of your vulnerability to pick on you then. Yes. And then I think they quickly discovered, I used to be really scrawny. And then all of a sudden I hit a growth spurt. And by junior high school, I was one of two of the biggest kids in the school. And the other kid was picked on, too. In fact, I'm still in touch with him. He actually, we grew up up near Chicago, but we both actually ended up moving to Texas roughly the same time Mm. and in the same area. And it's interesting seeing his experiences because it really affected him to the point he doesn't remember much of his childhood. Whereas... I had certain things that helped me through it, but I think the appeal in people picking at me was I was big, but I've always been very peaceful and laid back, and I have a high tolerance for pain and even annoyance. The couple times I snapped, it was not a thing you wanted to be around. There's a scene in Purvis where the main character snaps, and it's not a huge spoiler, but he takes somebody out with a desk. That's not even really inspired. That actually happened. I went off on somebody. And then people saw, okay, this line, if we cross it, he'll hurt us in return. But if we stay just underneath it, we can feel big because we're picking on one of the biggest kids in the school. Yeah, yeah. And, And one of the things I found from doing the research is, you know, I was always told that, oh, these are kids who have a bad home life, or they've been abused themselves, but that's not necessarily the case. It's kind of built into our culture as just establishing dominance sometimes. And, you know, they're not necessarily sociopathic, but it might be the way they were nurtured in their family to exert dominance is, you know, fostering the aggression. Yeah, the people who picked on me were definitely from very good homes and they were largely the most popular people in the school the people who were kind of in charge of our school were those people who lived in the best part of town and they you know they were more concerned with image and i think because they had a certain fear of losing that as you said that whole dominance thing i i'm i know for a fact because Years later, I ended up in touch with, you know, one of the people who picked on me. And they all grew up in homes. You know, it was kind of the 80s when everything started getting to kind of be more and more of the me culture. And people really started getting into corporate standing, things like that. And these were the kids of people like that. So they saw it from parents who were... Now, instead of just going to an office job, they were like, we have to take over these other companies. And it transferred, I think, to their kids who were at the top. They knew they were at the top, but they also knew it was kind of a tenuous place to be sitting in a hierarchy because even some of their friends 
at any given point could have risen above them. So they kept certain friends down and then they all kept the rest of us completely down. And people like me and the other friend that I mentioned who was heavily picked on really kept us down. When you were picked on, was it verbal, physical, or both? It was definitely both. It was primarily physical from other boys. Mm -hmm. There was, you know, there were a couple girls who would kick me and do things like that. But, you know, and the physical stuff really didn't bother me that much because, as I said, I had a high pain threshold. The stuff that really hurt and the stuff that I think carried on somewhat into later parts of life was all the more mental stuff. For example, there was one day in a class where the person who picked on me the most had a notebook and she went to a blank page and she wrote yes, no at the top, line down the middle, and in front of the whole class before the teacher was there said you know, do you like Christopher? Yes or no. And then had everybody write their names. The thing that hurt people I thought were my friends even said no, because that was their way of trying to survive. There was only one kid and you go, let's go back to the pledge allegiance because first grade, a friend didn't say the pledge allegiance because he was Jehovah's witness and everybody picked on him. So I stopped saying the pledge. Because I was like, if you're going to pick on Kurt, I'm not going to do it. You could pick on me, too. Because at that point, I was kind of popular. The only person who said yes that they liked me was Kurt because I protected him in first grade. And this was seventh or eighth grade. Wow. But it was that kind of thing where lifelong friends said, you know, just signed it. And they came up to me right after class apologizing. I even understood why they did it, but it's still, I mean, obviously that hurts when you're 7th, 8th grade. I was put into learning disability classes at this time, so that was another thing they could pick on me for. And it was just this feeding frenzy on me. Yeah, I had a very, very similar experience. It started with a girl who was my best friend. We were BFFs in 6th grade. It's also (laughs) middle school. And... I think it was after Christmas sometimes. So we had been best friends for at least four or five months. And then one day she just flipped. She just turned on me and started verbally abusing me, um, physically abusing me. And this this girl must have been like four foot eight. You know, I mean, she was a tiny blonde girl, but she was able to flip the whole school and to get them to join in. And like you said, what hurt me the most was I would go to another friend and say, you know, do you want to have lunch today? And they'd be like, I can't. Yes. You know, because I don't want to make Jody mad. I don't want to make her mad at me because they saw what would happen, you know, and they didn't want to be on the other end of the bullying. And it was it was really definitely like a mob situation, you know. And like you said, that hurt me the most because people who I thought were my friends were so scared of her that they wouldn't even bother coming to my defense. Even looking back, I was trying to figure out how long this happened, and I have no sense of time. It was probably a couple of months in my case. 
um, before intervention. There was, and I was, you know, just called terrible, nasty, fat pig, and just, and names that I had never heard before because we didn't really cuss in our house. Um, And she would pass me notes with all this written down, which thank God I had kept because I had uh, evidence that (laughs) of her bullying, but also physical. People would punch me, shove me in the halls and things like that. And And I think I told my mom, but she was just like, at that point, Oh, it was a little blonde girl. Just ignore her, you know. And I was like, you don't understand. And it just seems so much bigger to the child than to the adult, you know, because this is our entire life. Our whole school life is our whole social life. And it's our life. And when you've been shunned and you're being abused on a daily basis, then it's like, you know, the adults just don't understand or they didn't back then. Yeah. And so... One day, I just, it got to be so much, I walked off campus, and I went home because we only lived about two blocks from the school, and my mom didn't even hear me come home, but as soon as they took attendance for the next class, they realized I was missing, and they called her, and I was bawling up in my room, and I said, I'm not going back to that school. I'm not going back to that school, and I must say, though, that the school handled it really well, like... She was over there within hours, you know, talking to the principal about it. And the next day they met with me and I handed over the notes so they could see how terrible they were. I think that was like a Thursday. And by Monday they had me in a different class and they had already contacted her parents and they had made sure that I was checking in weekly with a counselor So considering that was back in the 70s when there wasn't really even an anti-bullying campaign, they did really well. Um, Did you ever try telling an adult or a teacher or something? Yeah, the thing, you know, you're very fortunate because with my experience, I'd go to the office and it was just, ah, you know, I even had one teacher just say, you're big, hit them back. And it's like, but see, when I've hit them back, I've actually gotten in trouble and it's like, well, don't hit him with the desk. And the other kid, you're you're trying to essentially file his face down on the side of the gym because it had like this blasted stone on it. Oh. And these guys just tackled me and I got a hold of one of them and I was just trying to scare the rest of them to show them, again, this is the line. Don't cross it. Right. But when I went to teachers, our counselor sweet sweet woman but she was so so disconnected Mm -hmm. from the reality of it for example another friend who was picked on was tiny so i'm the biggest kid in the school one of my friends is one of the smallest kids the advice he got was she she was just she was making things up she was like oh i bet they call you squirt if they call you squirt, just say, what, are you thirsty? Do you want to squirt? Ugh. Referencing the soda pop. Right. And he's like, and he just looked at her and said, if I did that, they'd beat me up worse. Yeah, And exactly. she was like, oh, no, they wouldn't. So the school didn't support anything. And fortunately, though, I had a couple teachers who did look out for me. And one of them eventually got me out of learning disability classes and allowed me to, we had a school attached to ours that had a bunch of special needs kids. And I would go down there for part of the day and just act as a teacher's aide to this one woman who was just an incredible teacher. So that got me out of the school, 
but at the same time, because now I'm going down with people with mental and physical disabilities, now I'm getting called other things and people are making it sound like I'm from that school. So there was that, but the one teacher who really helped me was a history teacher who had to be picked on because he always watched out for me. And that was like one of the times even one of the girls was getting physical. She just kept kicking me and kicking me in the back. And he just, in the middle of class, said he's being so patient with you. And took her out in the hall and talked to her. He talked to me at one point and he said, you know, I can't justify what they're doing. And I know you're trying to get help. And he was probably one of the first it gets better people I ever heard because which makes me think he had to be picked on because he said something to the effect of what I'm about to tell you does not mean that what they do is justified in any way, shape or form. What they're doing is horrible. You're in the right to be able to live the life you want. He said, but I know when you go home. In your neighborhood, you have friends, and you guys go out and you explore, you share artwork, you share stories, you're out there learning and being a really cool kid. On the weekends, even on vacation, all of the people who are picking on you are getting together or they're on phones just feeding into each other's misery. Mm -hmm. They have to spend all their time fixated on keeping their standing. He's like, so that's their whole life. And he said, one day it's going to slip out from all of them. And in the end, you're probably going to end up with a better, happier life. And they're going to be miserable. You know, some of them, yes. I mean, one of them, she just only recently kicked a decades long heroin habit. The other person who was really at the top of picking on me is still one of the most miserable people on the planet strangely and kind of odd she was married divorced and then remarried the guy who picked on me the most all these years later he had divorced and then they just somehow through facebook got started chatting and it was like they went back to the relationship they had in junior high school and they're still just two of the meanest people you'll ever meet right Right. But then I've seen other people when I moved to Texas who were very mean and picked on people who have gone on and lived great lives because they're the people who had the parents who were very aggressive in the office and they're very aggressive. If they're in sales, they'll cut anybody out to get the sale. And they're people who've gone, you know, this whole thing that teachers would always tell me that they're all going to be miserable. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, a lot of them actually are are doing so well for themselves, they're still miserable in certain ways, but some of them are cruel enough that they actually seem to enjoy it. Now, in your story, Purvis, you describe a respite from the bullying and kind of how you got through it through Dungeons & Dragons. Can you talk about that? I would go as far as saying that Dungeons and Dragons not only saved my life, but saved the lives of some classmates, because while I would never condone a school shooting, I really do think that if I had access to a gun, I had a plan, because in one class, everybody who picked on me 
sat in a back corner of a class and they seriously had a row of desks between them and the rest of us. And it was like, all I would have to do is get past there and I could take them out. And, you know, you said earlier, you know, because I could hear some people going, oh, well, you know, Laura was only picked on for four months. But like you said, when you're a kid, you're 12 years old. If you've been picked on for two years, that's one sixth of your life. Yeah, exactly. Now that I'm out, you know, I turn 50 next year and two years is like, that's nothing anymore. So there was that. And and we did have fantasies of retribution. I mean, just look at the movie Carrie, which came out in the 70s. I Definitely. mean, that is that is like the iconic bullying movie where she gets her revenge and it's it's the fantasy that we all have as bullied kids to like get back at these yes. people who have made our lives so miserable and so painful. Yeah, I think that you know, most likely if my stepdad or my mom had a, a weapon, I still don't think I would have. But I understand the that feeling of being trapped. And that's why I started, in my case, the big thing that saved me was playing Dungeons and Dragons, this fantasy game that in the 70s and 80s, people were saying, this is satanic. Don't let your child play this. And it's like, that game saved so many kids because I talked with other people who play all day long. They would be getting picked on. And then when they went home at night, they could build characters. They can build this world in which they're in charge. And right. And they the, had power, right? Yes, you had power. You had total agency. And you got to sit around with the other kids who were picked on and you shared in the story. And if you were a dungeon master like I was, everybody had this grand life in this game where all the pain in the world went away and they could be everything they wanted. In Purvis, the character who's the dungeon master is a little bit more hurt and takes it out a little bit more on his friends. And I had seen people like that. But for me, the game was a huge escape. And then I can look back on it and say the game is probably part of the reason I'm a technical writer, part of the reason that I write. I can attribute so much of my adulthood to playing that game beginning in fifth grade in 1979. A friend was like, hey, there's this thing. It's a weird game. Let's play it. And I played just last week i was the dungeon master for a bunch of friends in a little mini campaign i was doing for them so it's something i still do today yeah and one thing i forgot to mention and probably why it only lasted a couple months was during that following summer i get a phone call from one of my friends and they said did you hear jody's moving out of state <laughs> and it was like oh that was like the moment where I was like, I was able to go back to school and not even see her in the hallway. And that made all the difference in my life, even though, or she was told that she couldn't pick on me and all that. There was still her presence there. And it was still like, oh, yes, every now and then she would, you know, shoot me something. And so when I found out she was moving, I could go back in seventh and eighth grade and just establish a whole new social strata. <laughs> so that was great. And then, you know, you talked about Dungeons and Dragons. So starting with seventh grade, I felt more comfortable making friends. And I joined 
chorus, you know, which was basically choir. It was called chorus. And that was my social peeps, you know. And I think joining a a group that has a positive effect on you and others and is fun and you start making friends who have the same interests that you do really helps heal the feeling of being shunned yes and of being powerless and that so that was my way of kind of getting through it and through that chorus I made friends that I still have so that was kind of my way of getting out of that and healing but I I think it still stays with us you know even throughout high school and college I think I've had a fear of making friends and I've had trust issues and I think it all comes out from the being bullied as a kid there's a lot of residual things that can still stick around with you as an adult don't you agree Absolutely. I think as far as people who have been picked on, I really did deal with it pretty well because my mom was very supportive. I had that one, those couple supportive teachers, but it definitely carried through because even though it never took away my self-confidence, I never doubted my abilities. My big hobbies, you know, have always been some kind of storytelling, whether it was Dungeons and Dragons or writing, juggling. I used to perform, even though I had some initial stage shy moments, it was something that I was able to do. Where I have issues, even to this day, is just being social. Like today, unless I really know you and I'm comfortable around you, I simply don't know how to be. I can be around somebody who, if we're out in public or something and they're on the other side of the table, they can mouth or gesture to me. Simple things like that. And people are just flabbergasted that it's like, I was telling you this. And it's like, but see, when you were doing that in elementary school, in junior high, in high school, there was nobody I had to gesture with or have those kinds of social cues. So I don't know how to communicate like that. You know, there are certain groups of friends that, I mean, even if it's a larger group, I'm good. I can be in a room full of 100 people and feel so lonely and lost and all I want to do is leave and get home, which is weird because I actually am an extrovert who loves people. But in certain situations, it could be even among friends, I don't feel socially confident. It's like, I just don't know how to go up and talk to people and carry on a conversation and these things that everybody else did because they were socially acclimated at a young age. This is what you do in this situation. I never had that. That's a good point because I'm exactly the same. I can't go to a party or uh, any kind of group meeting where I don't know anybody. I always try to bring somebody along that I know. It's because at least I know I can talk to someone. Otherwise, I feel like, what if they all hate me? You know, and I think that's the residual. What if they nobody talks to me? What if I'm standing in the corner and I've done that? I've gone to places where 
I end up sitting in the corner alone and and miserable and just want to go home, you know, because I can't initiate the the social thing. And, And I never thought of it in the way that I wasn't taught to do that or that maybe, yeah, it's residual from being bullied in that I'm scared. It doesn't feel safe to me in a way. Yeah, and the people I know who, because I had friends who were very social, even though they were geeky outcasts like me, and you see them at a party, they don't know a stranger. I mean, they're the people who will be, they could be shopping and they could walk out with a best friend because they know how to just talk and they know how to make other people feel better about themselves. And unless I'm talking about a specific thing, like I said, I speak at meetups and conferences and people think you get up in front of hundreds or thousands of people and you talk. I mean, clearly you don't have social anxiety and it's like, yeah, oh, yeah, I feel confidence in my abilities, too. And when I have to and I'm great at public speaking as well. I love doing that, as a matter of fact, because people have to look up to you in a way and you being a leader in any situation even kind of helps with the social anxiety because automatically people want to get to know you and they introduce themselves to you. Yes. And you're sharing the, you know, you're sharing something. We're not there trying to gain social standing so that we could just keep moving up. It's just, hey, this is a thing that I worked at. I'm good at. Let me share it and see if it helps you in some manner. I love doing that. Mm -hmm. I want to be that person who could walk into a party and just walk up to anybody and say, hey, my my name's Christopher. How do you know so-and-so? And I do all these things and it's like, oh, you know, and hey, I I know this person. Recently, my wife and I went to a party. One of my best friends, I've known her since the week I moved to Texas in 1984. We got along because we were both social outcasts and she and her husband are two of our best friends. But when they have parties because they're into this whole Irish music scene, they have hundreds of friends. So when they have a party, there are hundreds of people there. And they invite us. And I was thinking, oh, it's going to be a smaller thing because they know we don't go to the big parties. And it was a big party. And I even if I walked up and said, hey, how do you know Candy? And it's like, oh, yeah, I went to high school with her, um, you know. And then beyond that, I'm like, it's like uh, <laughs> uh, I don't you know, hey, do, do you play Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, you don't play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, oh, well, at you, least you, you have a wife to bring. Yeah, there's that. And she's she doesn't love social situations. So, But so at least you can thing. be like, let's blow this pop stand. Yes. Now, I, another thing which is kind of on the sad side is that when I was doing the research for this episode is I find although I'm not surprised, that bullying is on the increase since the election of 2016. There was a big survey of over 50,000 young people from 13 to 18, and it said that 70% of teens said they witnessed bullying, hate messages, or harassment. And of those Incidents, 70% were racially motivated, 63% were based on sexual orientation, 59% on immigration status, 55% related to gender. So also in the Trump world, immigrants and Muslim students 
the bullying of them have been on the rise. So are you surprised at that? I mean, like, for me, it feels like whoever's in power and is setting the example, it's trickling down. I Yeah, I mean, we tr- trickle-down economics doesn't work, but trickle-down hatred seems to really work. And That's a good point. To that point, yes, because when I moved to Texas, I came to a school that had 394 students. It was a small Texas school, and a lot of those people connected with me on Facebook, and... A lot of them are those very people who are raising their kids to hate. They're people who, you know, I've just totally unfriended because it's like you called for the death of all Muslims and then other people who generally are nice people. And this is the thing that scares me, I think, most. They're like, well, you know how he is. He gets worked up. He doesn't mean it. And it's like he repeatedly talks about killing all Muslims I have friends included in there. So if somebody mm-hmm. was saying, hey, I want to kill your friends, are you telling me that you really think you should stay friends with that person? Because no, I mean, that's terrible. So just in this little group, I've seen it grow in this area. I mean, I'm in the middle of Texas. And even though we have some very blue areas, it's a red state. And what you really see are people who are losing what they feel is their sense of power. I see more people flying Confederate flags and other flags and being very ugly to people. Yeah, I think that's definitely a big issue. And I used to give a friend a ride to school and I suspected he was gay, but I wasn't going to ask him. It wasn't my business. And when he told me, hey, I'm gay, it's like, well, you know, nothing changes since yesterday. You were a friend. I remember getting picked on because I gave him rides and it was the 80s and people are like, you're going to get AIDS from him, you know, just from being around him. And, you know, people calling me derogatory names because I was hanging out with this guy and I see the very people who were making fun of me as adults who are now worse and they're teaching their kids that. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's um, when you get it from such a higher power, it makes it acceptable, socially acceptable. And what you do, whether it's unfriending them or standing up to them, I'm not sure you can change anybody's mind. You probably can't. Um, So it's best to just cut them off, and you don't need it in what I call your own peace bubble. You don't need it in your environment. So if you see things like that, you either stand up to it or you cut them off. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it goes back to being picked on, you know, being on that receiving end of cruelty. It's like, okay, I know how it felt. And I still had it better than so many people because, you know, I had that gay friend and I talked with him, you know, even before he came out to other people. And I knew how hard it was for him. And it's like, Man, I mean, the couple years I got hammered on and a little bit teased in Texas, nothing compared to what this guy has. And this guy came from a a very affluent, large, you know, the kind of family you wish you would come from. People would be like, man, I would love to be him. And it's like, no, you really wouldn't because, you know, the stuff he had to deal with and... But you're right. I think it, it, it has made us more sensitive. Yes. And probably more of a champion for the underdog. Um, because when you've been there, you, you've got the empathy for, for the people who are 
highly bullied, whether they're children or adults. Yes. And I take some hope because, you know, friends who have kids who are in high school chat with them and it's like, yeah, you know, even some friends who kind of border on certain, you'd say they're conservative, their kids are like, I don't care that he's gay. Whereas people in my our generation and above were, were, would have just freaked out. If that friend had come out back then, his family probably would have been run out of town, in all honesty. And I think on a positive note, the kids now have a voice. Yes. You know, they've got a voice online. They've got a voice in school. There are these anti-bullying programs. People are more aware with the movements online, like it gets better and me too. They can also, you know, this is something I'm talked about in my community episode. They find their peeps. They find people like them online that they wouldn't necessarily have found maybe in their physical community. So things are very different from when we grew up. And yet there's also online bullying, which we never experienced. And I can't even imagine how that would be either. But I think for the most part, there are more resources and awareness and tools for kids that they can come out of it. Yeah, absolutely. The Well, I mean, we play D&D with one of my friend's teenage sons. And his experience is like, man, it's great being a geek because now even the jocks are like hey man did you see avengers whereas back then it's like uh, i don't want to mention i read comic books because people will make fun of me and i think one of the strange things i've seen are some of the people who have been bullied it's almost like they're mad that there's a generation that isn't getting picked on for the stuff and i'm like but see that's progress we would have loved to be able to wear a Dungeons and Dragons t-shirt and have even a jock flash a thumbs up and say, dude, I finally played that, man. I, I get it. Well, thank you for joining me. This has been a really great conversation and I hope it's helped other people out there who were in our situation. I do too. Well, thanks for having me on the show, Laura. And thanks for everybody who's listened. And tell people about your podcast and where they can find you online again. Okay, my name is Christopher Gronlin, and I do a podcast called Not About Lumberjacks. And it's a mostly monthly short fiction show. Sometimes there might be an individual audio drama, but it's mostly short stories narrated by me. All right, thanks, Christopher. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Laura. So if you yourself are carrying around pain from being bullied as a child, there are things you can do to help heal your inner child who was bullied. And the adult that carries around this bullied inner child with them. One, seek therapy. Just talking about it with a mental health professional can be a great way to acknowledge the pain and then move beyond it. Two, validate all that you've accomplished as an adult. Three, validate your strength and how you got through that difficult time and that it's over. Four, join positive activity peer groups like choir, like alumni clubs, or social service organizations where you're actually coming together to do good. Five, seek leadership roles. As Christopher said, 
maybe try public speaking. Seek out Toastmasters in your area. Toastmasters helps you with self-confidence and public speaking and has helped millions of people. Six, definitely don't perpetuate the behavior. Catch yourself if you exhibit bullying behavior to others and be kind, especially to those who need it and those who are marginalized. Seven, forgive your bully. Now, this doesn't have to be to them directly. In fact, I'd actually advise against that because telling your bully that it's still affecting you can give them more power than they really need. So forgive your bully to yourself. Imagine that they're sitting across from you. Tell them that what they did was wrong, what they did hurt you, and that you forgive them because you're ready to let it go. And most of all, forgive yourself. You didn't deserve it. You didn't cause it. And it wasn't your fault. Listen to my episode on what people think of you and the sequel, Release the Darts. For more information about bullying, go to www.stopbullying.gov. I've put a lot of other links in the show notes as well. So take a look at them. This is Laura, and you've been listening to the Peaceful Life Podcast. You are a spectacular human being. Take care of yourself always.